You're listening to iFanboy Talks Blowed with Luan J. Telecki from Marvel. Hey, welcome to another edition of iFanboy Talks Blowed. My name is Ron Richards, and this time around we're talking about the recently launched Marvel Knights animation project, Thor and Loki Blood Brothers. First episode came out this week of a four-episode series, and it's the animation adaptation of the story uh, by writer Robert Rohde and Isad Ribic. We had the opportunity to talk to Ruan J. Telecki from Marvel about the project, what went into it, the evolution of motion comics to animation, and as always, Ruan's a great guy to talk to, so let's hear all about it. I'm here with Ruan J. Telecki from Marvel. How you doing, sir? Good. Hello, Ron. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's good to have you back on here on iFanboy to talk about uh, the, the latest uh, animation series coming out of uh, Marvel, uh, Thor and Loki Blood Brothers. Yeah, th- thanks for having me on. We're we're really excited about launching this animated miniseries. It was written by Robert Rohde and uh, obviously drawn very expertly by Asad Ribic. Yeah. So, so now the last time we talked, we were talking about the Iron Man Extremis uh, motion comic, and this was right around the time that the Iron Man movie was coming out. And so now we've got a Thor movie on the horizon, so it kind of makes sense that a Thor animated series is coming out from you guys. <laughs> I assume that went into that was part of your thought process when picking the next project to work on? What? There's a Thor movie? That's crazy. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. it, it was uh, absolutely part of the plan. You know, I, I mean, I, I do want to be honest about something, you know, the we obviously position this by how strong we feel the content is, not just because you know we have a great movie window and and we do and and it worked out perfectly, but you know if we ended up having like a a great piece of um cap product that we felt that you know we could have launched on time, we would have launched with that, but sure. it just ended up the stars and moons aligned for this one so right. it was so, very nice so when so when you sat down and said okay you know we want to look at thor there's so many great thor stories over the years how did you guys uh pick out uh this particular one um you know with the work by robert Rohde and Isad ribic to be the, the the subject matter to be converted into this uh, into this new format you know to be uh, quite honest ron you know this story has followed me since i've been at marvel because you know, I started, uh, you know, about four or five years ago. And as soon as I got here, my job was obviously much different than it is today. And, um, you know, one of the first things that uh, Axel Alonso, who's now our editor-in-chief, but exec editor at the time, he had dropped, like, stacks of different comic books on my desk. I said, read these, you know. At least if you're not going to be a continuity buff, you should at least read some good stories. So, you know, as I thumbed through these stacks and read them, you know, I, I hit, um, you know, Thor and Loki Blood Brothers, which was originally titled Loki. And I, I, you know, I think I read that story cover to cover several times because I think it was um, not so life-changing for me, not because I think I'm like some demigod or something. <laughs> but I really, I, I could really appreciate, you know, sort of this artistry and mastery that Robert and Esad had over the, you know, the comic book page in, in the story and, it's such a great story to me and so brilliant, you know, and over the last few years, obviously, you know, I've been making moves here and there and, you know, I'm now producing this animation for Marvel Knights animation. And it ended up being that, you know, when we came up for the next project, I was like, you know, why don't we try to tell a story with our superhero characters and supervillain characters, but, you know, do an atypical story. And, you know, this is where, you know, Thor and Loki uh, Blood Brothers came in where I, I just thought, oh, this would be perfect. You know, it's 
it's big and epic. It still has a lot of feeling. Um, you know, the, the art is gorgeous. The writing is really sharp. And, um, you know, the, you know, the other elements that we brought in from, uh, you know, animation to voice casting to sound design and special effects and sound mixing, I, you know, the end product to me was just brilliant and uh, phenomenal. And I, I couldn't believe that we put all those sort of modular pieces together and we got this product that was, you know, eclipsed even the value of any one of those separate um, uh, things that went into the melting pot. Cool. So, yeah, so I want get, to get in a little bit about the production of it, but before we do, you know, what, you know, for those, those who haven't read, haven't had the opportunity to read the graphic novel or are familiar with it, what is the basic premise of the story? Like what can people expect from the, um, Thor and Loki blood brothers? Uh, you know, this this takes a very hard look at Asgard. Um, you know, as as you know, as a comic book fan and many comic book fans out there know, no. you know, Loki's often, per, you know, perceived and portrayed as, uh, you know, a bad guy or a villain in the Marvel Universe. And this story really picks up from where he has conquered Asgard. He's imprisoned Odin, he's imprisoned Thor, he's imprisoned Sif, and he has Balder in chains. And this is his first day as ruler of Asgard. And the interesting thing that, um, you know, you get from just these, the initial episode is that, you know, everything necessarily is in black and white in terms of Loki's bad and, and Thor's good. It's not ever portrayed that Thor is a, not a superhero or a heroic um, being, but that, you know, there, there's, there are motivations and um, emotions that Loki has for what he feels being persecuted, you know, from when he, you know, became Odin's stepson to, you know, this day and time. And a lot of this is, um, you know, him uh, taking people to task for what he felt were, you know, ill acts against him and so forth. And I think that what I would distill the story down to is, Loki is a very misunderstood character. I think Rob did that very brilliantly. He really showed that, you know, this te- this character has textures and feelings and emotions and motivations beyond like, you know, twisting the mustache and saying, ha ha ha, you know, I'm going to rule the world or something odd like that, you know, uh, and, and you get this real sense of sense of sympathy and empathy for him, which I think doesn't happen a lot of times because, you know, we, just see villains as, you know, madmen with mad plans and so forth. But, you know, me as a comic book reader and just a fan of fiction, you know, I love great, uh, I love written, uh, love villains that are written well. And, you know, the most interesting villains to me are ones that don't even realize that they're doing bad things. And that's what makes them both so dangerous and understandable is this idea that they truly believe what they're doing is the right thing as opposed to, you know, what we feel is like, Oh, well, you know, this guy's, you know, the white knight and this guy's the, the bad guy and the, you know, the good guy's going to take down the bad guy and everything's resolved. And not everything's that um, clear in this version of Asgard that we see. And I think Loki ends up at the end of the story, discovering some really hard truths about not only himself as, you know, the God, but also, you know, his, what his real relationship with Thor is. And then I think, you know, the, the interesting thing is, and I, I think Rob, Robert did this in one of his interviews is he really explores this idea of, you know, for all these eons and decades and hundreds of years or what have you, 
Loki's been scheming and plotting to take over Asgard, and now that he has it, what defines him? You know, now that he's not, you know, the other side of the coin to Thor, but now, you know, he's finally done the impossible, which is taken over Asgard and subjugated everyone. So I think there are a lot, there's lots to be answered in this animated story, but I think the, um, the real delivery and the payoff here is just this great backstory and background to Loki and sort of his connections to all of these people that he feels have wronged him since his birth and onward. So that's the, that's the short, that's the short version. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, I think it's really interesting because, you know, like, like you mentioned, you know, like Thor and Loki and Asgard are, they're all Odin. It's all steeped in Norse, Norse mythology. And, you know, you, you kind of, it was interesting because you kind of referred to them earlier. You said, you know, you used the word superhero. And I always think of Thor and Loki in the superhero context when they're here on Earth or on Midgard interacting with other heroes and interacting with regular people. But this story takes place in Asgard. Like, I, I don't believe it ever crosses back over to Earth at all. And, you know, in that regard, it, it becomes, this it, it seems more of a Norse mythology story than a superhero story. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, beyond it being a, a North story or a, a superhero story, I think it's it's just a really good story of conflict and resolution. And, um, you know, I, and I, I do agree with you. I mean, it's obviously, you know, these characters are steeped in North, Norse mythology, but I, I think the, the, the main thing here is that, you know, you, you, you get this, just in this view of Loki that you've never had, and you actually can be sympathetic and empathetic to this to this character who for years has just been painted as like, you know, I'm going to destroy the world and, you know, what have you. And, um, you know, Thor has been the defender against that. But, you know, when I, when I look at the story and, um, you know, when I met Robert Rohde, I, I only met him earlier this year. And, you know, we were talking about this. Obviously, this, this story is very much influenced by you know, Shakespeare and that sort of dramatic effect in the language because Robert, like myself, are huge Shakespeare buffs. But, you know, the the other part about it, and I think this is just a sort of nod to the to the animation team and the sound team and, and the actors and so forth is, you know, while I talk about this story as being very epic and grand in terms of some of the visuals and things going on, when you watch the the episodes, it really has this indie feel feel to it, even though we're telling this story episodically. Like that first shot into, you know, Thor on sort of a dais in front of everyone being, um, you know, strapped to the to the log or the the piece of wood. It, you know, you have that shaky cam effect as almost as as if you, the viewer, are there watching Thor on this grand stage being subjugated by Loki and talked down upon. So I, I really think what, what worked out in this animation outside of, you know, Norse mythology and the superheroes and Midgard and the cosmic galactic is that, you know, we get a very personal story on a very epic stage if that makes right. any sense oh yeah absolutely absolutely so um so to touch upon the animation uh this is so this is done by the same production company that, that did iron man right yes magnetic dreams studios uh did iron man extremist and obviously they they did uh loki as well it was a new directing team um joel gibbs uh co-directed iron man extremist so we um 
brought him back, and then we had actually a a live action director come in and, and co-chair, and his name is Mark Howard, and um, the the co-owner of uh, Magnetic Dreams, Mike Halsey, who directed Iron Man Extremists, was heavily involved because he was my primary contact with the studio in terms of you know going from animatics to full animation and so forth, and talking through like sort of the creative brief of the project. But yes, same animation house so yeah so so what was the what was the process like working with them at least i assume you kind of looked at you know looked at iron man extremist as a finished product and and what did you guys learn from that project that you brought into this one or how did the process change with this project well you know i i think you know iron man extremist set um you know set some some really nice bars to um or nice heights to sort of try to leap over i mean it was the the first shot of shirt first our first shot at like really mixing 3d CGI and, um, flat panel art sort of in a seamless way. And, and I think for, you know, I would say like 87 to the percent of that project, it worked, but I always felt like the mouth CGI wasn't working that well. And I think that was one of the elements that we went back on Thor and Loki and, and Mike and his, and his brilliant sort of tech and, tech team went back and they, they uh, invested themselves in sort of different software techniques and different techniques of doing mouth movements. And you'll see them sort of vastly improved. I think beyond that, you know, a lot of the things that we pulled out in the story and really brought to the forefront, like these environmental effects and some of the particle effects and, um, you know, sort of this very internal view of Loki and, you know, using shaky cams and, and sort of like this, almost like it's an indie film. Um, you know, that all was brought out because it served the story and amplified things that we wanted to do story beat wise within the story. I think always our goal here was to not alter what um, Robert and Esad did, but really bring a new sort of experience to that story where we weren't changing necessarily the storytelling, but we were adding a lot of different layers of content to it, not just from the acting, but the visuals and so forth. And I think you see that throughout. I mean, a lot of those things that are shown in um, the animation, um, you know, a fair amount of them were obviously drawn by Assad and skinned onto these 3D models. And then a lot of it was, you know, expanding sort of the storytelling and the transitions and so forth throughout the story. So while we weren't changing the integrity of the story, I think what we did was because this is animation, we gave it much more of an immersive feel where, you know, you had to feel like you sat, you could sit there and watch it straight through without, you know, hitting pause or rewind or, you know, if it was a comic book flipping back page just to look at what was going on. So, you know, we always operate by the idea that, you know, a person may rewatch this several times, but at least the first time through, they're not hitting pause or going backwards that, you know, we have one shot to tell the story very clearly and then people will go back and watch it for sort of these like little minute details. But no, I mean, working with them has been just a great process for me because I've probably learned just as much about animation every time I do one of these projects as I do put into the projects and sort of challenge the you know the animation team or the sound team or or the music team to up the ante and I, I think the main thing for us is whatever we're doing in Thor and Loki Blood Brother we're always serving the stories we're not just doing 
it's tough to show off because, you know, obviously we could have a gigantic Armageddon like meteor crash down into Asgard and do really random stuff that would look cool, but really not make any sense. I mean, you know, I think the, the really, the real talent in sort of doing visual effects is knowing when to pick your shots and when not to do stuff that just would throw off the entire production. So who wouldn't mind Michael Bay explosion here and there? I mean, <laughs> really. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be, like you said, it's got to be used at the right time in the right place. And, and by, by the looks of the trailer, at least it looks like that you guys have picked your moments the right, you know, in the right, in the right spot. So the music, I, I, I think, I mean, you would admit, I think the music just defy, you know, really brings out, you know, these sort of feelings of like, wow, what's going on in this animation. And, you know, I have to give it off, give it to like underground music who, uh, scored all of the episodes and Edge Studios and James Snyder because they really threw a lot of weight behind this, um, you know, production and, and it shows. I mean, I think just as both a fan of this story and just a fan of content, I um, I was really amazed by the end product, not because I doubted what they could do, but just them consistently, you know, promising to overachieve and then shooting beyond that, um, it has been amazing. You know, every time I would open up, you know, an animatic or some sequence of um, animation and see the, you know, this great work that Magnetic Dreams is doing with, you know, the st- the, the voice acting that we casted and then, of course, um, the music from Underground Music and I I was just blown away. So, you know, I, and I, I'm not just doing that to, you know, sort of shine, shine the uh, audience or you on, but I really do think that what we did here was, you know, fairly unique and um, has a, a fair amount of production value for just animation, you know. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's kind of, I wanted to ask you about that, and not you know, not to go on too touchy of a subject, but the the Iron Man project was positioned as a motion comic, and now I've seen a change. We've seen a change in language, and that you know, this is an animated series. Um, you know, wh- what was the decision behind moving away from the motion comic kind of name uh, to more towards animation? Is the, is the work truly more towards true tried and true animation that, with this project, or? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be pretty honest. I felt, you know, looking, I mean, myself and, and a few other people looking not only at Thor and Loki, but Iron Man extremists. Um, not that anything's wrong with the term motion comic, because, I, you know, they're, you know, we were launching con- comic under that sort of um, designation, and we decided to change that to Marvel Knights Animation. And, it, and I think m- the main part of it was, it seemed like motion comics could mean very rudimentary animation, or it could mean something like Iron Man Extremist, or it could mean something like Thor and Loki. It could mean, you know, cut paper animation. And we felt like there was way too much variance in both what it could be and the quality of it. And the thing is like, yes, you could argue the same thing about animation, but at least people, off the bat, they know what animation means. And there might be just a slight disconnect with motion comic when you're talking to someone maybe outside of, um, you know, the comics industry or people who sort of follow um, different types of animation. And we felt that, you know, we weren't misrepresenting this because really a good deal of the animation in this um, project as well as Iron Man Extremist was, you know, 
full-on um, animation that you know had full movement and uh, mouth movement, walk movement, and, and so forth. And you know we're we're scaling and skinning and um, rigging 3D models, and you know the animation house is obviously doing all of that and manipulating it within a, a 3D environment that you know they're using Assad's paints as sort of the the basis of. So, you know, while we could have continued, I think, with the term motion comics, I felt that, and and a few other people here felt that Marvel Knights animation branded the, the content more appropriately. And I, I think also it sort of sets a tone that this isn't, you know, this isn't for your six-year-old or seven-year-old. And, you know, it has a, a fairly darker feel and, a more mature audience. And I wouldn't say that because I wouldn't say that, you know, we necessarily have more mature things going on in every single Marvel Knights animation. Cause I, I'm sure there are plenty of, you know, 13, 14 or 15 year olds who could watch this and not be, you know, terrified or scarred for life. But I, I do think that there's sort of this, I don't want to say pedigree, but just level of story content that, you know, this probably wouldn't be for your, you know, your nine-year-old brother or something like that who, you know, enjoys seeing Thor and Avengers Earth Mightiest, which is, you know, the show on Disney XD. This is really probably for, you know, an older teenager or an adult um, and someone who probably can appreciate or understand maybe some higher concepts in storytelling and so forth. And that's not you know, to put down kids or anything like that, because there are plenty of them who could school me at plenty of other things, but <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> Marvel versus Capcom for one, any, <laughs> any Xbox live game. You <laughs> it. Um, but no, I, I think that I, I do think that you brought up a really great point and, and that is that Marvel Knights animation really designates this and, brands this as animation I, you know I, I know that there are going to be people out in the forums and you know cynical people who are going to say oh it's not really full animation blah 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 but you know looking at some of the things on tv you know some of those people should be ashamed if they're calling that animation and i'm not going to point any fingers at them <laughs> but <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> and and that's cool and i i think it, you know sometimes you know certain things don't require a certain level of production value to effectively tell a story. And I, I mean, you can look at South Park and, you know, those guys could afford to totally trick that out and CGI it and, you know, what, what have you. And, you know, it makes a lot of money for, you know, Comedy Central or, or Viacom, but, you know, they don't have to because that cut paper animation works for South Park. And, um, you know, some more advanced types of animation work for certain other types of content. And, you know, I mean, we're not trying to compete with SpongeBob or South Park or, you know, Squid Billies or something like that. You know, what we're trying to do is, you know, create a place where you can find a, a story for, for a customer who's a little bit older, um, you know, who probably has different tastes in terms of the content that they want to enjoy. And, you know, if you know, it's great that we're servicing, you know, a fanboy story or, or something that comes ripped out of the comic book world. But I think beyond that, I think this this story could be a great story for someone who goes and sees the Thor film and is like, I want to really learn more about that. And you know, I'm not really into comic books, but I'll take a shot on this animation. And 
you know, and then they get a different sort of riff on Loki and, and who he is. And, and I'm not also trying to say that, you know, as I've heard, and I don't know if for certain because I haven't watched the movie from start to beginning, start to end, is that, you know, I, I think Loki in the film might be seen as misunderstood. I don't know that for certain. And obviously in Thor and Loki Blood Brothers, he is misunderstood. So, and that was completely unintentional. You know, we didn't riff off of the film, and obviously the film did not riff sure. off of <laughs> So, um, you know, but I, I think, it, you know, while there might not be any continuity between Thor, the feature film, and Thor and Loki Blood Brothers, it, you know, I, I think there might be certain elements that are a little bit similar and that there there's not a complete disconnect between, you know, what's going on in the movie and, and what's going on in the animation. Obviously, they're not tied together continuity-wise or story-wise, but I think they're they're tied together by this this idea of really high-quality content and, and strong storytelling. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know this as a fan that, you know, it's story, 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 you know, as pretty as something can be, you know, the story has to work or otherwise the art really doesn't work. So Yeah. And and I think it's interesting also that, you know, um, not only the move from motion comics to animation, but also the establishment of, of Marvel Knights animation and knowing what we know about Marvel Knights, the comic line, that those are kind of out of continuity, you know, non canon just sto- you know uh, you know, stories about the characters, you know, to the essentials of the characters. Is that what we can expect from these sort of projects in the future? I mean, is that those really the when you're looking at the different properties to do down the line are you taking that same kind of approach as the Marvel Knights comic line? No, absolutely. I think that's, that gets it right on the head. I think, um, you know, regardless of whether a story was branded Marvel Knights, you know, Marvel Knights as a printed comic or collection, I think the idea is, you know, I, I wouldn't discount you doing something from continuity, but I think the idea is taking something that feels evergreen and that tells a story that isn't really laden in continuity. So you could walk into this having watched the, the Thor movie or not watching the Thor movie and been like, huh, that was a good story that at least tells me who all these characters are, what the motivations are and, you know, delivers what I feel is, um, you know, a high production value at, at a reasonable cost. And, um, you know, that, that's my hope for as we do more and more of, these projects is that you know we we keep delivering on this idea of taking comic book stories that resonated with people or you know that we feel resonate um, with fans and and beyond our, our core fan base and and see where we can go with them. I think you know we can only do this as far as you know the fans and and our and the people who are supporting us keep supporting us. So you know I, I think there was a lot of talk about why are they doing Iron Man Extremist? It's already been a graphic novel. They already covered it in the movies. But, you know, it came out. It did phenomenally well. It's still doing well. It's crazy. It's still selling. That, that was, I was you actually going to ask you about that because I, I've heard through the, you know, through Grapevine, you know, some, you know, uh, how the performance of Iron Man, and it did really well from what I heard. Yeah, I mean, it did. I mean, it kept, I mean, and I don't get me wrong because obviously the content sits on, iTunes, Xbox Live, and PSN, and they're all value partners, but, you know, iTunes obviously does the rankings and so forth, and, you know, I mean, for a really long time, it, you know, it was at the top of animation for season passes, it was at the top of episode sales as the episodes were coming out, 
it was ranking at the top of TV seasons for all of iTunes, which was crazy. And it's still selling really well. And, you know, I, I think it's, it shows in the fact that, you know, iTunes and other partners have consistently keep, you know, showing Iron Man Streamus on, you know, their banner areas or in their front page rotations or their major promotions because it performs so well. And a part of it is, you know, the the distribution points like iTunes and Xbox Live and PSN supporting the content. But the other part is people just voting with their dollars. And, and the crazier part was, so, you know, this... So probably as of next month, Iron Man Extremist will have been out for a year. So in the last quarter of 2010, um, you know, I think in November or something, our U.S. DVD partner launched the Iron Man Extremist DVD, which is just a DVD of all six episodes and, you know, some bonus content and interviews and other cool stuff. And that DVD ended up, you know, ranking pretty high on Amazon, which was insane. You know, I mean, and obviously there's a lot of equity in um, the Iron Man name because of the movies and, and the comics and everything else. I'm not trying to discount that because that would totally be, you know, idiotic on my part. But, you know, the fact that, you know, Iron Man Extremist, you know, the, the six episode, you know, over an hour long um animated or partially animated uh, pieces of content, you know, could sort of keep up with, you know, DVD sets of whatever of other animated series that have been on TV and so forth and get major commercial promotion is amazing. At least to me it is. I mean, is it like the top 10 DVD? No, but the fact that, you know, it would be in the top, like, you know, two or three or 4,000 and stick around around there is amazing to me, at least, you know, when you think about the amount of DVDs that Amazon sells online and the fact that I think for a while or probably still right now, I think it's the number one Iron Man animated DVD. It's probably, I think it was, or is outselling the, the series that was on uh, Nicktoons or what have you. So, you know, obviously the, the, the DVDs and our, and the part, our partner shop factory and, you know, the fans out there, whether they be comic book fans or, you know, casual fans, they're, they're supporting stuff. I mean, I think the weird thing is that, you know, when you read the, you know, the news forums, it's really easily, it's really easy for people to tear it apart because I don't really think that they're buying it or, or watching it. I think what they're doing is just seeing it as like, oh, it's bastardized content or whatever. There's not a new experience, but apparently it is a new experience or, or at least it's, um, you know, it it has some value to consumers out there who maybe aren't really into reading comic books or they're not really into reading collections. But, you know, not to go completely off a tangent, but I think this is an important point to bring up. And I think it's a cool one because I think, you know, we launched this animation, whether it be Spider-Woman or, um, or uh, Astonishing X-Men or Iron Man Extremis or now Thor and Loki, you know, we started, I started looking at correlations between how the collections were selling when we launched it. Well, not for Spider-Woman because we did that simultaneously, but for AXM Extremists and Thor and Loki. And when we did, you know, even the announcement for Thor and Loki Blood Brothers, the, the sales of the, the new hardcover graphic novel shot up from like, I don't know, whatever number 400,000 to like number 20,000 or 18,000 on Amazon. 
And then it's been, you know, spiking up and down depending on, you know, press releases and, and new stuff that we're doing with Thor and Loki. And the same could be said for, you know, the Iron Man Extremist hardcover when, you know, we had this. So, you know, the creators are benefiting from this because obviously, you know, they're they're pay, being paid incentives based on the sales of the comics and hardcovers. And, you know, I think it's kind of cool that, you know, we we could take something that they created and, you know, and, you know, create some cash flow for them. I, I think it's it's a pretty cool thing. And, you know, as long as this content is out there on iTunes or, you know, Amazon and so forth, it, it keeps c- continuing to point right back to the original source material, which is, you know, um, whether it be Robert and Assad's graphic novel or, you know, the single issue comic books that happen to still be up and around online or, you know, audience you know, Warren's uh, trade paperback or hardcover of Iron Man Extremists or Joss and Cassidy's, um, you know, gifted trades or hardcovers. And I think that's kind of cool. I think people often look at, you know, the things that we do and say, well, you know, they're just doing it for the dollar and whatever. But of course, you know, we're running a business. We wouldn't be doing this to lose money. But at the same time, if we could help out creators and create some buzz. And I think, you know, the coolest thing that happened when, when we did this for Robert and Assad was, you know, this was the first time that Robert his name in moving credits. I thought that was a cool moment. You know, that was the first time he saw it, you know, rolling by and he never thought like, you know, it would be in some, you know, because of Thor and Loki blood brothers that he'd see his name up in credits. Of course, yes, it's the small screen and it's not movies and so forth, but still pretty elevating to some people who aren't, you know, completely cynical. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, yeah, and that's what I said. It may, you know, looking at it from a, from the press standpoint, you know, like clearly, you know, Iron Man would have to be a success for it to justify doing another one. I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, it's cool, but you know, a company is going to let you do this just because you have fun doing it. There's got to be some return, so that makes sense. <laughs> but um, so. or I have to hit the lottery. <laughs> you just become known no, as the guy obsessed, I, I, obsessed with doing animation comics, animation projects. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that person in the basement, the sub-basement of the basement. But no, I mean, I, I think um, it was a great question for you because I think that, you know, a lot of, I, I mean, I think a lot of times people look at this and says, like, who is actually buying it? And, you know, Marvel's a business and, you know, we wouldn't produce content if it didn't sell. I mean, as much as we all like to, you know, have our sort of like critical acclaim darlings. And, you know, sometimes it works out for that content and it eventually finds a following and so forth. But, you know, these productions end up being fairly expensive. So, you know, the only way we can justify it is by people going out and voting with their dollars. And fortunately, they they have been. And, um, you know, I knock on wood, you know, it continues. But, you know, it's been a great process so far. I mean, I've you know, beyond the creators that I've gotten to get to know better, I, I think the just the sheer amount of people on the, the creative front from animation and voice casting and voice acting and sound design and, and musical score, you know, I'm I'm never gonna I never would have had that experience just doing business development for Marvel, which is, you know, probably seventy percent of my job, which is, you know, generating hard dollars, but it's kind of cool to have sort of a creative role and, and a managerial role on a creative project and see it succeed or at least 
hopefully will succeed. Yeah, yeah. well, sure. And it's definitely very cool. And so how long, how, long, how long does a project like this take? Like, when did you start work? When did you kick off this project? Um, we actually kicked it off probably at the end of August. Obviously, the, the art went to... Um, to the animation studio probably in early August, but we didn't actually start official official production probably until early September because we were you know we we have to do all the voice casting and recording um, before uh, these guys can actually do all the animation because you know they have to sync up the mouth and stuff like that so they can do some rudimentary sort of animatic stuff but the the real full on animation like the CGI and all that stuff that can't really start until they have um, tracks to work against and you know all the different actors from each episode recorded uh, so I would say September and we wrapped really at the end of Feb um, you know all four episodes were done. Wow. So, I mean, I, I guess the reason why I ask is because it's not, it's not an insignificant uh, task to do this sort of project. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work, right? I mean, if I could do it on my extra sketch, I would. But, <laughs> 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 but apparently you can't. No, I mean, it, it is a lot of work. I mean, Magnetic Studios employs probably 20 or 25 people there or more. Um, you know, the casting process, while it's a very tight cast, it you know, it was a pretty vigorous process. You know, we spend hours of time with each actor going through takes and re-recording and recording. And, you know, James Snyder, who is the um, the audio producer and, and voice acting director on this, did a phenomenal job. You know, I, I came to him with a very specific vision on Thor and Loki, and, you know, he met it and went far beyond it. So, and the actors... Um, you know, they're all theater actors and people who get commercial work. So it was kind of cool, you know, hearing these people um, come in and and really get into the story. You know, none of them were really superhero fans or comic book fans, but they got this because they got what Robert and Assad were trying to do here. But no, it was no mean feat getting this project done. I mean, lots of moving parts. Um, you know, as great as everyone has worked together, sustaining that sort of energy and positive thinking for like six months can be exhausting. And, uh, you know, I'm no cheerleader pom-poms, but, you know, I do my best to keep everyone happy. <laughs> sure. And so, um, so, and is it safe to say that this is the only animation project you guys got? Do you have one for Cap waiting in the wings or will that not be a Captain America one? No, there there will not be a cap one. There was actually um, we were going to do simultaneous projects, but we felt that if we did that, we would be hurting both projects quality wise to do it. And I'll, I'll be pretty honest, you know, I'd spoken to Ed Brubaker pretty extensively about you know picking one of the arcs of um, Captain America and taking that to animation, and we just did not physically have the time. And and beyond having the time. It was just, I felt like we would have had to take 100% of the resource that we had and split it down the middle. And then we'd only be throwing 50% of the effort against Cap, 50 against Thor. And I don't think what we saw in that trailer, you would have saw if we did both projects. So it's unfortunate, but that doesn't preclude us from doing, you know, Cap down the line, whether it's before, um, you know, the Avengers movie or something like that. But, you know, 
the the whole challenge of working at Marvel, um, it, it, you know, this goes beyond. It's like being in a you know a kid in a candy store because there are a lot of great stories here, and you know, you look at them and your eyes are so big, and you want to tackle all of them. And then the reality is you have to really focus and, you know, I have to sit there probably for a couple of weeks and sort of read through stories and like jot notes on and try to figure out what that creative vision is and then take it to the people who are going to animate it and cast it and, and score it and see if they can make it work. Cause you know, at the end of the day, they're, you know, they're that glue and they're that engine that sort of hold this all together. You know, I could have like sort of the most brilliant take on, Ed's cap story, not in terms of like re re changing it or anything like that, but what that visual or sound direction is going to be. And if we can't execute it, it's sort of pointless, you know, uh, you know, I really felt like, you know, with, with Thor and Loki, what we did was really give people this 3d space that, you know, they could sit in and, you know, it's, it's almost like theater, you know, you're sitting there watching this great acting and hearing it and feeling it and, you know, listening to it. So, um, yeah, that, that's always the challenge. And, you know, there are a bunch of stories, you know, obviously Ed's run on cap parts of it. You know, I'd love to take the animation in terms of Marvel Knights animation. And, you know, there, there are a few other stories that I, I'd love to tackle, but it's all just time and the success of the prior projects to make sure that, you know, we're still running a successful business, you know, sure. Sure, that makes and that makes perfect sense. So, um, cool. So, so Thor and Loki, Blood Brothers. Um, it's going to be so it's a four episode series, and it's a little different than Iron Man this time around, right? It's going to be available weekly. Yes, yes. Um, so Iron Man was bi weekly every two weeks, and uh, Thor and Loki will launch on March twenty eighth, and then uh, week by week, uh, new episodes will go up on iTunes, PlayStation Network, and Xbox Live, and then. Sometime later this year, we will have a box DVD set of the entire series from Shot Factory. Cool. So it's available on iTunes, Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, and HD episodes are two ninety nine. But there's also non HD for a dollar ninety nine, right? Yes, but buy the HD because it's more expensive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially if you're watching. No, if you're, if I mean, what, whichever. <laughs> Especially if you're on a computer. I mean, if you're buying on iTunes and watching on your laptop, I mean, your laptop can run HD video, so definitely go for it. Or your your computer. Most computers can run that that really high definition, you know. And I'm, yeah, yeah, and 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 it and the thing is, I think the the way these episodes come out, like they're not that there's like this gigantic difference between SD and HD, but you know, we take full advantage of the fact that, you know, we get to play in HD. I mean, these are mastered in 5.1 stereo surround and so forth. So, you know, people aren't, you know, people aren't getting the, the bad side of the stick by, you know, paying a little bit more. But, you know, the SD works and, it, and it's good content. You know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, how how the consumer wants to enjoy it. And, you know, we tried to provide it in this many fashions and ways possible you know i think in the next couple of months we'll probably have some announcements about other ways that you can enjoy this content but i can't say anything about it because they'll kill me but, <laughs> fair enough it's something uh, to look forward to right? <laughs> but, no but i mean it's all it's all it's all stuff for the consumer there's it's not about you know shaking people down and i mean you know this is you know being being a person who probably purchases content you know this isn't about you know, we're 
releasing one version and then we're going to release another version with like five more seconds of content or or something like that. Uh, you know, the, the announcements I think will make for that only not only tie into Marvel Knights animation, but, you know, other types of content. I think it'll, it'll be a, a nice thing for fans. At least I hope it all works out and, and stuff like that. But definitely iTunes, PSN, Xbox Live, you'll be able to find it on the 28th and enjoy it. And if you don't, you can write me hate mail. I am all for it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Even you, Ron. Even <laughs> hey, you. Hey, I'm all, I'm all about it. I'm on board. So, all right, cool. Well, thanks so much, Ron. It's always great. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's always good to have you on the show. And hopefully we'll be talking again when the, when the next project comes out. So. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I, I, I really appreciate the time and, you know, the, the listening audience and, it should be good, and you know, if I get enough hate mail, we could start a little mini podcast every week, and I could read the hate mail. So. <laughs> cool, excellent. <laughs> so, big thanks to Ruan for giving us some time out of his busy schedule to talk about Thor and Loki: Blood Brothers. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, go check it out. There's going to be a preview on uh, a clip of some video on the post on ifanboy.com. So, go check that out, and you can also buy it on iTunes, on Xbox Live, Marketplace, a whole bunch of other places. The next three weeks, we're going to have the episodes released out sequentially, so be sure to check them out. Everyone's been raving about this project. So uh, go give it a shot. Uh, in the meantime, go to ifanboy.com for all your comics news and uh, comics-related fun. You can do your pull list over there, check out their podcasts. And if you have any questions, you can shoot us an email at contact at ifanboy.com. So until next time, I'm Ron, and enjoy your comics. Enjoy your comics.